Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into episode 171 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. The Sources Say podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations by scheduling an appointment online or by calling 859-543-0700. Exciting news to announce today for our listeners. They are offering 20% off any whitening treatment to all sources say podcast listeners. Go to justicedental.com slash sources say to book your appointment today, or you can click on the link in our show notes. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? Fantastic, Jack. Uh, home a little <laughs> bit sooner than what I think we all thought we would be, and I can't shake it. All day long, it felt like Sunday to me. And I'm like, it's Friday night, and we're supposed to be in Indy. We're supposed to be at dinner right now. We're supposed to be sitting around having a good time. And you know, it's, it's just not the way it, it's not the way it ended. And I, I never would have thought or imagined that it would end this way. The uh, yeah, I don't. You don't have to lie when when I say how are you doing. Uh, how the heck? How the heck are you? And you say fantastic. This is the this is the one time you can lie to me. Or, or no, you, you you did lie to me. This is the one time you can tell the truth and say that you're actually very very not okay. Uh, as the unthinkable happens ask, on Kentucky. Ask me again. Ask me again. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm horrible. I'm absolutely, I'm horrible. Like I, I fake it. I'm, I'm, I'm devastated, devastated for a group of guys that was so much fun to cover. I'm devastated for the fans, for those who have just, I mean, the heartbreak for a few years now and the last two years of no tournament games, three years without playing an NCAA tournament game. I'm, I'm devastated. Uh, I mean, the March run, when it comes to website traffic and all and all that stuff, we we miss out on it again. And I mean, obviously, there there's people that are still going to be reading because there's a lot to talk about. But those reaction videos through throughout the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, the fans watching stuff together, like I hate it because it was supposed to be special, and we thought that this team had all the pieces, and we're going to get into that because I think this team did have the pieces to do it, but some things just didn't go in their in their favor. Yeah, the unthinkable happens. Kentucky loses in overtime to St. Peter's 85 to 79. Sean, um, I want to be totally honest. Uh, it was the most embarrassing, uh, disgusting, uh, inexplicable performance that I've ever seen a Kentucky team have. Uh, it is the worst loss in Kentucky basketball history. And I, I go, take Gardner Webb, take Evansville, take Robert Morris. I don't care. This is absolutely worse than all of it. It is absolutely inexcusable. Uh, Sean, if you remember our pregame show, which uh, if you haven't listened to that, please, for the love of God, don't. don't. Um, <laughs> just don't. But th- I... I a lot of the things I said during that show, Sean, in terms of uh, St. Peter's as a basketball team and wh- the way they looked and, and all that, uh, it remains true to this day. And I think that's what makes it even more embarrassing is I watched that team practice the day before and Sean, they looked absolutely awful. They looked like a team that was preparing to lose. I don't care what they were saying to the media and 
ha- come in with a chip on their shoulder and all that stuff. They clearly, Sean, look like a team that that w- was preparing to go home early. I don't care what they said. They looked horrible. They had some injury issues. It, 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 I left there going, Kentucky should and could be able to name the score in this game if they wanted to. And guess what? They could have. And that's what makes this all the more uh, just disgusting and and just uh, inexplicable in my eyes that 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 Kentucky against a team that is not good. Sean, this is a, a basketball team that is not good. You look at the defensive numbers or the, their offensive numbers and, and Kentucky's defensive numbers. Uh, you go down the list. This is a team that that came in with a 19 and 11 record in a very average uh, uh, average conference. No high profile wins. This is a team that struggled with size. They didn't have a whole lot of talent. Not a whole lot of ath- uh, uh, athletes. You got on the list. This the, the the talent differential, Sean, is unbelievable between these two teams. And for me to go into the the pregame show with that much confidence that Kentucky could be able to do that, and how it could be a statement win, and how they should be able to do all these things, that's what makes this so disheartening, Sean. Is because they had an opportunity to go in there and win by fifty points. And then they end up losing in the first round in the worst loss in Kentucky basketball history uh, to a team that absolutely uh, isn't even on the same wavelength in terms of talent and and uh, and potential and, and what this team could be. Uh, you could not find two polar opposites, and, and somehow, some way, Kentucky plays down to the competition and gets burned uh, in, in overtime. It's it's just something that Sean, I, I've really struggled to put into words. Uh, I've only written one article since. since since the game ended because I, I literally just can't, I, I wrote my, my takeaways post on KSR cause I, I do that for every game, but I, I have struggled to come up with words and like a column to kind of explain and express my feelings because it was the most disappointed I have been in this program, this coaching staff, the, the players all, all from, from top to bottom. It's the most disappointed I've ever been watching a Kentucky basketball game. Yeah, and the thing about it is Kentucky was losing to the other 67 teams in the NCAA tournament yesterday. Like, Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. It wasn't just St. Peter's. It would have been Longwood. It would have been whoever. They would have lost 60 to the other 67 teams in the NCAA tournament. I ignored a lot of things down the stretch that were, to me, red flags, some warning signs. Uh, the defense continued to go the other direction. And I thought it was at a season low last night, honestly, in that game. I I, I, mean, I thought they were terrible on that end of the floor. Like, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder how much tape was actually watched because we know that St. Peter's, you know, hit Kentucky with that twist action multiple times on backdoor cuts where they would lift the big and Oscar would pull away from the basket. That was on film. St. Peter's had ran that action all season long, and they just continued to get Kentucky with it, especially when they hit some early threes that stretched Kentucky out even more. But – it's just disappointing. It's it's disappointing, like I said in the opening, for the fans and for everyone because for six weeks, maybe – well, yeah, six weeks. I'm going to say from the North Carolina game all the way up until that Florida game there in February at home, Kentucky looked like one of the four best teams in college basketball and I think at times looked like the best team in college basketball. I give John Calipari a ton of credit for that. But you also – it's, it's also true to say that I think Cal had a lot to do with why this crumbled late, too. And, and that's where I was coming from today. I've, I've written one thing, Jack, actually two things. I put up something about Oscar last night, and I put up Cal's postgame press conference because I just wanted to kind of take some time and really digest and think about what I wanted to say. And I will in the coming days, and I know we'll flip the script and hit with roster turnover and attrition and everything that's going to come like it normally does, but – I mean, it just it leaves you wanting so much more. Uh, this is now a program under John Calipari that has lost in every single round of the NCAA tournament. I mean, yes, they've won in every round as well, but they now have a first-round loss, which is, I think, the worst loss in Kentucky basketball history, given the opponent. But I just think that something happened there three weeks ago, and I kept writing it off. I kept saying they're going to get it together because they always get it together in March. Just March is the cure. And it never happened. And I should have known when we left Tampa with how horribly they played that that was the final warning sign that they were not going to get it fixed because Cal's teams always play well in that SEC tournament. The ones that are good enough to do it, they always play well in that tournament. 
and this one did not play well for honestly weeks. Like Oscar really covered up a lot down the stretch. Like that game at Florida, Oscar was the biggest reason why that they won that game. He was the biggest reason why they'd done a lot of stuff late. But this was a really good basketball team at one point. It's so disappointing to see how it ended for them. And the excuses that we were able to make uh, the last couple weeks where uh, it was, you know, we pointed them out on the show. We said, yeah, uh, you know, they let off the gas late, have some defensive miscues, some missed assignments, uh, very uncharacteristic things. And it was kind of like, hmm, that's weird. But we always gave the benefit of the doubt because of Cal's track record in these big games. We always said, you know. Uh, whatever you got to do, get healthy, get get your momentum back, get firing on all cylinders again, do whatever you got to do to get back to that team we saw against Tennessee at home, the team we saw at Kansas, the, the team we saw, saw out in Vegas uh, against North Carolina. Do whatever it takes. If you got to take some losses, if you got to, uh, you know, do whatever, play ugly, I don't care. Just get back to that brand of basketball and, and th- this team's capable of making a Final Four run because that remained true uh, and it did. So we, 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 you know, those last couple games, the last, I guess, four or five games of the regular season, as these issues continue to pile up, we were like, well, but you know, we're, we're playing for March. We're playing for March. We're playing for March. SEC tournament doesn't really matter uh, because they really just care about the assembly tournament. And then so why we do we got say here. that though? Why do we say nothing matters till March? Because that has it's how it's always been under John Calipari. It has, just, and, it and, he, and who said that? He said that. Like you know, even he, this year, yeah, yeah. He dismisses like he when he comes out on his radio show and said, "I have a team that's built for March," and I think he did. Like that's the thing that I'm trying to come back to. I think this was a team that had the pieces to make a Final Four run. That's what's so deflating about it. But I don't know what happened. Like they they played so fast for a period of time there to where they just reacted and played. Kellen Grady was fantastic in transition. Davion Mintz would come in and do his thing. They didn't think. They reacted for five or six weeks. But I think this was a thing that I talked about on the pregame show yesterday. The pressure, it can get to you or it can help you. And I think it got to Kentucky, and I think that they felt it as the season kind of winded down here as it got closer to tournament play and then eventually when they got into postseason play, like now that we look back on it, you know, they, they didn't play well against Vanderbilt. They had some issues that night, and we kind of just wrapped it under uh, this, you know, this umbrella that Vanderbilt was a desperate team and they were playing hot. But now we look and see Alabama wasn't doing anything late in the year. That's a team that Vanderbilt beat in the SEC tournament. Well, Kentucky was one of the – I mean, they were they didn't have a very good performance down the stretch, and we just kept – I don't know. I, I feel so bad because we come on this podcast for so many weeks talking about what this team was going to do. And then they just uh, – it's just deflating, man. Like, I, I'm at a loss for words. I'm sure I'm going to be able to find some stuff to talk about and nitpick. But I said it yesterday. Like, John Calipari is still the head coach at the University of Kentucky, regardless of what happened. I said that. And, and I still believe that. Like, I think that he's still the best guy. But some criticism is warranted. Like, he he's worthy of having some criticism thrown his way this offseason. And, and it can't just be – to me, he changed for a bit when it comes to they were playing quicker – Guys were able to play through some struggles, but as the season started winding down, I thought that the the rotation got tighter. The guys that made mistakes didn't get as long as of a leash as what they got early in the season, and I saw guys start to panic and get and just tighten up. and And I think that that's the part that was on him. They did not look relaxed late in the year when that's that's when Cal's teams look the most comfortable. And what was it I said before the game started, Sean, after admittedly being impressed with how loose Kentucky was uh, during their open practice, when we were down on the court watching them warm up uh, during pregame shoot around, what did you, you, what did you ask me? You said you were there on that. So I wasn't there Wednesday, but then I asked you, how do you feel? And you said, man, they, they don't look like they did yesterday. Yep. Yeah. And you read the body language and you read it correctly. Look, dude, Savir Wheeler looked over one time late in that game, and I, I hate it for Savir, but he looked like he was terrified a couple of times. And I don't want to play this card that it was the NCAA, no, the lack of NCAA tournament experience. St. Peter's had none. 
Like Kentucky's they've been head. Like, yeah, they've been like two or three times in the program's history. So when Cal started throwing that garbage around during his post-game press conference, I was like, give me a break, dude. I do not want to hear that at all. You have a 2,000-point scorer at, at the co- collegiate level. Uh, you have one of the best playmakers in college basketball and a dynamic three-level scorer in Ty Ty Washington. Go down the list. You, you have a team that is more than capable of beating a freaking St. Peter's team, a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament. I do not care. Yeah, when when that narrative started getting thrown around, I said that is garbage. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, I'm not going to come on this podcast hopefully and and just be all doom and gloom. I want to say that it's going to be okay, but Jack, I want to see how this plays out over the next five to six weeks. I want to see what this roster looks like as far as decisions you know were made and. And what decisions are made when in the portal? Who do they go after? Like who they go after, who they target, what skill sets and things. I think there are a couple of things that they need to focus on. And we'll get into that as this podcast goes along. But I'm with you. I thought that for the most part this year, I thought Cal had done an excellent job kind of winning the fan base back, especially when it comes to press conferences and what was said. But then last night, it kind of just looked like a lot like last season where he said some things that just didn't make sense. Like he was dead set that Kentucky had an eight point lead with three minutes to play when it was a six point lead, which was their largest in the game. And, and some people will be like, come on, don't nitpick. No, an eight point game and a six point game are entirely different things and different scenarios with three that's minutes. Two to buckets. Play. Yeah. That's two like, buckets. Like my thought process was this. I said it, I tweeted it out when Kentucky was up six coming out of that timeout. I tweeted, this is a, important possession in this game. I felt like had Kentucky got a basket in that moment, they were winning that game. Now, Kentucky shouldn't have been in that situation in that game, but they were still in a situation to seize control and take the game and win it. And I have been on this thing all season long, and I know for the last three weeks I've been saying the the two things that I needed to see was a game where Oscar Sheboy got in foul trouble. We got it in the SEC tournament. And I also said I needed to see them grind out and win a game against a good team. Well, St. I don't want to say St. Peter's is a good team. I mean, they're in the NCAA tournament, but they're not one of the elite teams in college basketball. Like, I don't expect this team to make a run at the Elite Eight or the Final Four. Well, we never saw them win that close game against an elite team, and then I think it also got them down the stretch. They just didn't look prepared to grind out games the way Cal wanted them to grind out. Like, this wasn't late in the year an offense that could just kind of just take the air out of the ball and then execute in the half court. When they played through Oscar Sheboy and posted there, they'd get some buckets, but they just didn't have guards that were athletic enough to really beat their men off the bounce and go make a play individually. Savir was the best option, but he just didn't have the length to finish over guys at the rim. Ty-Ty looked slower after the injuries late in the season. He didn't have the same burst, and he, he really wasn't the most athletic guard that they had to begin with. And and I think when you're grinding it out like that in the half court, you better have an elite guard that can break someone down individually and do it, or you better be throwing it in the post to a guy that can't be stopped. And and I just think that that was just a a bad recipe there. Cal's right, though. You have a six-point lead with three minutes to go, or he said eight, but it was six. You have to win that basketball game. Missed way too many free throws, shot themselves in the foot, and they just they weren't good enough to get it done. And if they weren't good enough to get it done in round one, this this wasn't a team that was going to be good enough to get it done in round three or four. Uh, but I think if they had been able to get by last night, they would have played some better basketball. I think Kellen Grady, when he finally hit that shot, just had the look of, oh, my God, it finally went in, and maybe he would have got going in the next game. But there was just so many things, Jack, that we could point out and say that needed to be fixed, and that was a problem this late in the year. Oh, God. Sean, uh, St. Peter's entered the game with an offensive efficiency of num- of 260, uh, effective field goal percentage of 274, uh, two-point field goal percentage of 317, uh, turnover percentage of 319, and Kentucky allows them to shoot 50.9% from the field and 52.9% from three to score six, uh, 85 points on the night, Sean, we said uh, during pregame that this that Kentucky needed to keep this uh, in the fifties for uh, you know us to to feel confident about a, a statement win, not just a win, but a statement win. Uh, and and Kentucky goes out and, and allows thirty more points than what we uh, hoped uh, hoped to see in that matchup. And I will add that. The Peacocks hadn't scored. By the way, we uh, lost to a team called the the Peacocks. By the way, just in case you were curious, 
Um, they hadn't scored 85 points in a game since December 12th, which was an uh, 87 to 48 win over something called NIAC. Sean, do you know what a NIAC is? I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That was the only time all season long that St. Peter's hit that 85 point mark. And the Kentucky Wildcats, the SEC Kentucky Wildcats, the top five, the, the majority of the season, Kentucky Wildcats uh, allowed them to score 85 points on them. That is embarrassing. Certainly not good. And, you know, we talked about that efficiency number on yesterday's pregame show. And, and I would have been surprised if St. Peter's got to 60 to 65 points. Well, Kentucky just getting back cut to death, just giving up open threes like they just didn't defend. And, and that's where I think this season kind of unraveled is they never got to that point on the defensive end of the floor where I thought that they could actually do something in this tournament. Like I, I kept saying, all right, get everybody healthy. I want to see that efficiency on the defensive end down the stretch. I know they had some moments against Tennessee, but listen, they had breakdowns against Tennessee late that I texted you last week, and I said, I'm not sure if I trust this team enough on that end of the floor to win basketball games in the NCAA tournament. Uh, now, they had enough offense last night. I know the offense is a big talk, grinding it out, taking the air out of the ball, stuff like that. They had enough to win that game. They should have got out of this first-round game regardless of what happened. Like, they should have had enough to beat St. Peter's on talent alone. The defensive end of the floor just killed them, though. Davion Mance got back cut. It felt like 15 times in the final two to three games of the year. But it wasn't just him. Kellen Grady gave up a lot. Uh, you know, Ty Ty Washington gave up some stuff. So, I mean, they all did. Like, they had so many defensive breakdowns. I looked out one time watching tape, and, and Keon Brooks wasn't even – he was like three steps out of position. Like, this is these are veteran players that weren't engaged. I thought that there was a divide late in the year on a lot of things. I, th I think you saw it on the bench last night. John Calipari, uh, he, he, it was an all-year thing with him yelling at Chin Coleman, but last night was even to a greater level that I think that he spent most of the time during that game. If you were watching on TV, you probably didn't see it because when things would break down, it would be on the other end of the floor. Cal would look and just kind of have his arms out to, to Bruiser Flint and to the guys on the staff, like, what do we do? What is the answer and I wasn't – and that San Francisco was scouting Kentucky. They were not scouting St. Peter's. Now, San Francisco didn't win, but I remember around the six-minute mark, the dude looks over at his guy, at his guy helping him, and he's like, uh, should we maybe start focusing on St. Peter's? Like they, <laughs> they didn't even think that it was going to happen. I thought around the six-minute mark is when I thought, okay, this thing might actually happen, but then Kentucky had the lead. But then they just didn't. I mean, look, you had a turn, you had multiple turnovers by Wheeler down the stretch, a bad pass to Grady, a bad pass and a post to Oscar. Uh, you had possessions where the shot clock was winding down. They they didn't even get the rim. And then meanwhile, St. Peter's goes down and they're they're hitting threes and, and getting layups. And that's a recipe for disaster. It gave them confidence. And ultimately that building that was full of Kentucky fans, Murray State fans started cheering for St. Peter's. San Francisco fans in attendance started cheering for St. Peter's. Tennessee fans in the building started cheering for St. Peter's. It That crowd eventually became an environment at the end that was wanting to see an upset. And Kentucky graced them with that privilege, Sean. It was uh, uh, just real quick rounding out the defensive talk. It just feels like, Sean, that the – that we've seen Kentucky play elite defense this year. And I think that's kind of the most frustrating part is we have seen this team lock in uh, and really stay engaged and focused on that end of the floor and, and really play high level basketball at times. Uh, and my concern, as we talked about on this show is that it wasn't a fundamental issue of sorts. It was uh, all about engagement and focus and, and letting off the gas late and, and allowing, you know, backdoor cuts and getting beat on pick and rolls and, uh, you know, not getting a hand up on open three point shots and, and things like that uh, to allow the, 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 you know, to allow the other teams to make a 20 point loss, a an 11 point loss or a, a seven point loss or, you know, whatever it is that they they had opportunities to keep these leads uh, and kind of let off the gas a little bit late. And we talked about this extensively uh, on the show the last month of the season. Uh, but Sean, it, it really felt like yesterday. And, and I mean, even against Tennessee, that it wasn't 
it was no longer an engagement issue. It was no longer an intensity issue or an attention to detail issue. It really felt like a fundamental, it felt like all those bad habits started stacking each uh, on each other, one after the other, after the other. And uh, a, a mindset started turning into an actual fundamental issue that this team had defensively. Uh, and, and like, I, I think by year's end, this team just wasn't a good def- defensive team anymore. And I think that is kind of the most frustrating part of all of it is that uh, a team that we have seen such high promise on that end of the floor uh, eventually turn into uh, it just uh, some players just weren't good defense, you know, guys that we kind of saw as high level guys, you know, Davion Mintz, we kind of considered to be a high level impact defender earlier on in the year uh, by year's end he was almost unplayable on that end of the floor and i think it just it's just blows my mind how we got to the point that we did that we let one thing lead to another lead to another lead to another that that resulted in this loss it, it everything when you put two and two together it all adds up for a, a stupid loss like this and i think that is just uh, just it, it just drives me crazy that that the signs were all there early on and we wanted to just kind of believe it and ignore it and go, yeah, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Cal knows what he's doing. Uh, and then we actually get to this point and reality sets in and the humiliation of of it all after the fact is just it's just I it's just so, so embarrassing and so inexcusable on every uh, on, on every single level. Well, John Calipari, like I've, I've, I've tweeted it all day. I've been a huge supporter of John Calipari, and, and I just think we're to a point now where you can't really defend him against his loudest critics. Like, I mean, how can you? Like coming off a 9-16 and 16 year, this year you, you work your way up to a two seed, and that's what I don't want to get lost in all this is I think he did a lot of good with this team up mm-hmm. until about two or three weeks ago, and, and maybe it was the injuries. Maybe it was just the rhythm was thrown off. I don't know what it was, but – Something was there, and, and and ultimately, it's up to him to kind of figure it out and, and get it right. And I think he would tell you that that you know that's ultimately his job to to pinpoint what is going on and, and get it moving in the right direction. But there were a lot of things said, right? Like he said on February nineteenth, I have a team that's built for March. Now that was after I'm pretty sure a was that that was after a win, if I'm not mistaken. So things were okay then, and then they go on the road at Arkansas later that week and lose, and then. They lose uh, again in the SEC tournament. But even up till this week, he kept talking about the practice that they had on Monday and how they scrimmaged and that he made a t- he tweaked and that the guys loved it and that he's like, I'm, I'm telling you, they're locked in. The more that I look at that right now, it was almost a, a cry out to his guys saying, I'm trying to build you up here, but you've got to ultimately flip the script and get your confidence back. This team lost its confidence, and it was contagious. There was one guy on this team that I don't think lost their confidence, and that was Oscar Sheboy. Oscar Sheboy mm-hmm. just worked so hard that I don't even know if it's possible for the young man to even lose his confidence. Like He is always going to be what he is. I mean, he is a, a rebound machine. He's going to get you 25 to 30 points. Like He has that ability to do that, and he left it all out there. But across the board – Kellen Grady had no confidence in his shot. I'm convinced the shot he hit at the end of the game, the reason it went in is because he had no choice but to take it. And he had he just reacted. He get, They got the offensive rebound. He moved to that left wing, and he drilled it. And the look on his face was like, I finally made one. And I think had they won that game, you might have seen him kind of relax and do some things against Murray State. But he just he didn't have to, he didn't have to think about it, Jack. I think that's why he made it. But then you look and you see Ty-Ty Washington confidence going down. You saw Sabir's at times, especially at the free throw line. Guillaume Brooks up and down. Why in the world did Jacob Toppin not play much in the second half and overtime? I mean, he was the guy that was flying around in the first half and didn't even get off the bench in the second half. But Davion Mintz, another guy that lost confidence. I think that eventually it became a thing where one or two lost it, and then it became a total team thing, and they just could not get it jump-started again. And I think Cal tried, but it's just that that was so concerning to see that that they could not get that confidence back because they had it at an all time high there up until about mid February. Yeah, I've, you know, after last season, it's just one of those things that 
that you were able to give him the benefit of the benefit of the doubt because he had not had uh, that type of season uh, during his time at Kentucky. He just hasn't. And you, you were able to as inexcusable as last season was as a whole, you were able to look at the, the sum of all parts and say, okay, this is a guy that has gone to final fours. He's won a title. You know, you go down the list, well, SEC championships, SEC regular season titles, so on and so forth. His track record is so, so strong. And he has done so, so much good for this university that you you allow a throwaway, a throwaway year. But it came with the caveat of you got to get it right the next year. That was the thing. And I, and you know, he spent all freaking off season on the, the media tour of going on, uh, you know, going on ESPN, going on the radio shows, telling everybody that'll listen to him. I hope you, I hope you had your laughs. I hope you had fun. Make sure you get your jabs in now because I, I, we're coming for you. I, I just want you to know we're coming for you. So when you say stuff like that and you talk such a game and you allow a buy-in for the fans, one more, more time where they go all right i hear you 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 had your your year it was an absolute uh, crab show from start to finish and it, it was doomed from the start and and whatever it, it was the covid year you had you know tragedy within the program go on go down the list it was just a, a year that you just want to forget it even happened that happens. He starts flipping that narrative a little bit and starts building it up. He constructs a, ro- a roster, I think, beautifully. I have no gripes about how he constructed the roster for what was presented to him. I think it was a perfectly executed uh, roster. I had no complaints uh, about that what's whatsoever. What a win for him, uh, trusting Oscar Shibway to step up and really be that player when everybody and their mother was saying, you're an idiot for not taking Kofi Coburn. That is an absolute win on his part, and I give him absolute credit for that. And all year long, it felt like it was uh, he was right. We finally got that, uh, got that back. You, you, uh, all right, we got the swagger back. We're feeling confident again. Uh, uh, this is a team capable of winning a title. You can't do that and then follow it up with the worst NCAA tournament loss in school history. You just can't. And, and that, like that's that is what just makes me sick to my stomach for these kids and the fans that paid so much money to travel and follow this team that bought in so hard for this team. And, and, you know, shoot guys like you, Sean, that, that rely on like need much madness. You know, you have your own brand, you're big building your brand with go big blue country. And like, you you know, you live for March. This is what all of this is about. And it's just poof. Like it's just, it's just gone. And it's, and it's little things like that, that I think about that. I go, man, this is just unacceptable. You cannot follow the worst season in Kentucky basketball history with the worst tournament tournament loss in school history. You just absolutely can't. And I, 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 I just don't have any answers. And I, and I think Cal didn't either when he was up at the podium, he said that he said, I wish I had an answer or two for some of this stuff, but I just really don't. And he, you could kind of tell that he was devastated. And, and of course he didn't want that to happen. This was a worst case scenario for him too. And, and uh, he's had a, a hell of a couple years too on his end in, in terms of dealing with the tragedy and going through what he did last year with, with COVID. I, I get that stuff, but dude, you, you get paid $10 million. Uh, you can, you know, you can cry tears of gold if you want to, uh, while the, the rest of these fans that put so much into this program are are left with nothing at the end of the day. Uh, and I think that's just kind of the most devastating part of all of this is that it, that uh, it, after so much promise, after a, a year of just awful awfulness, this is the reward. It's just it's just crushing. Like yeah. it, it just it just is. Well, and I know I said this on the show a few weeks back. I, I said this is a good basketball team when everything was clicking, when they were all doing their job. And I know I kept saying all year that I just didn't think it was possible for all of them to be off on the same night, and they weren't. Oscar was there, but the backcourt really let them down, down the stretch. Uh, The backcourt entirely lost its confidence and just never could recover. Uh, Ty-Ty Washington, the more we watch Jack, I I don't think that he was 100%, whether that be physically – with that injury or, or mentally coming back from that injury. I mean, are you thinking about, man, you know, I've, I've hurt my ankle twice now. Like you start thinking about that. I've been there as a player. I, I remember when I had an ankle injury and it became a mental thing for me because I started thinking about leaving my feet and landing in, in a certain, in a certain way. And that's mm-hmm. a, that's a mental thing that you can go through as a player. 
uh, I know he, what he had going on with his mom and, and stuff and what, and the battle that they're facing there and, and everything. So I, I know their kids, there's ups and downs, but that backcourt there in January and early February looked like the best backcourt in college basketball. That wasn't fake. That's what I keep saying. It wasn't fake. Like this was a good basketball team. This was a team that when it was all clicking and they had it right, if the NCAA tournament would have been able to start in late January, Kentucky would have won the whole thing. But that's the thing. you got to make it the entire distance and get to March. And as it got closer to March, the opposite happened. I don't know if this had a lot to do with the team makeup this year. And Cal put together the right team. There wasn't the elite freshman out there for him to get. They went elsewhere. You got Ty Ty Washington late. You know, Damian Collins is a project piece. Bryce Hopkins was a project piece. Wasn't ready to get on the floor and, ex- and play extended minutes in, in Calipari's eyes. Uh, I'm not in those practices. I don't know what John Calipari's seeing there. So I can't make those decisions, but I'm just going off of what we saw. One freshman played a veteran team of guys who are what they are. I thought Oscar Sheboy was the guy on this team that got significantly better from beginning to end. The rest of the guys that were veterans. I mean, they had their moments, but I don't, I don't see a ton of improvement. I think that's kind of the risk you take. If you have the veteran club, you can't really say, okay, they're going to continue to get better and progress. And in March, they're going to be the best versions of themselves. Maybe these guys were the best versions of themselves in January, but then some of these other teams just kind of got better. I know it's a different trajectory. There are usually a lot of freshmen on these Kentucky rosters where these were a lot of upperclassmen. Kentucky did peak in late January, early February. The thing that we'll never know is if they don't have that injury in the Florida game, the tie-tie, do they keep riding that momentum? That's the one thing that we'll never know. That's the only thing that we can go back to and say that's where it was disrupted because that's where it changed and it never looked the same again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I, I asked this question to you afterward because this is what, you know, this is what we're going to be dealing with this next couple of weeks and, and you know, roster t- turnover and adding new pieces and so on and so forth. Uh, that's going to be such a, a hot topic. So, I mean, it, we need to discuss this. But I look at this season and, and you know, the collection of pieces that Cal put together. I love the roster. It's one of my favorite rosters we've had in a while, and that's kind of what makes this so heartbreaking. Uh, but I, I got to admit, I am a little concerned about the transfer portal option being the end-all be-all for Kentucky that you absolutely have to get the best of the best. You got to get the next Oscar Sheboy, the next Xavier Wheeler, the next Kellen Grady every single year. Uh, but I'm thinking, what what is the next Kellen Grady going to look at when they see Kellen Grady and what he did this season? He didn't boost his draft stock. He didn't. It wasn't like he he created this new brand for himself. He probably made a, a great amount of money with NIL. Maybe that's enough. But I look at it from a branding standpoint. Uh, I, I just I just don't know if they're going to look at the way it's it, like they didn't win. It. You go to win a national title. You go to, OK, this is going to be my last ride. Like this was Kellen Grady's last last ride uh, wanting to make a run in the NCAA tournament. And he's out. He, he's knocked out in the first round. And, and that has to be so disheartening for a guy like that. But I, I got to admit, I'm worried that future transfer portal options are going to look at this and go, I'm not going there to boost my draft stock. Oscar Sheboy, yeah, I think, I mean, but he's a one-in-a-million type player. He boosted his draft stock, but it's not like he boosted it to be a top-five pick. He boosted it to, to be maybe early second round from you know late second round to being undrafted. So he boosted it a little bit, but outside of that, nobody has really helped their long-term uh, impact, and I, I, I just don't want Kentucky to get caught with – 
getting the second and third options in the transfer portal because those are guys that just are just dying to play Kentucky. If they go this route, they have to get the next Oscar Sheboy, the next Kellen Grady every single year, and it's a dangerous game if you're not winning games in the NCAA tournament because that's what these guys are hanging on to. And right now, they have a a round of 64 uh, appearance and loss to show for it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that we've got to look at here in the next few weeks is, you know, who do they target? Because we know that the transfer portal is going to play a part in this. And and there's a couple of decisions that are going to impact how we view Kentucky going into this offseason. I think if the right people return, I do think that John Calipari could have a very good basketball team next season. And, yeah, and that's yeah. what fans that's what fans want to see. Like Oscar Sheboy's decision is massive. Because that dude, if he comes back, would have a great shot at being National Player of the Year again next year. He's going to win it this year. Shaden Sharp's decision is a massive decision because, Jack, he's the guy right now that you can give the ball to and he can go get his own. He's big enough, he's explosive enough, and he can get it at all three levels. That's what they missed down the stretch this year was a guy that kind of could cover some things up. Some of those possessions that were late in the clock where, yeah, you don't want to see them grinding it out. But if you get in a situation where there's six or seven seconds on the shot clock, he can go get his own and go get a basket. I thought John Calipari last night when I think it was John Hale asked the question in the press conference. About so, where, yeah. Were there other conversations with Shaden this year? about possibly playing and he said we we did talk so there must have been another conversation here down the stretch i don't know how long or when that conversation conversation took place but then cal said that he was asked about could he have helped them this year and cal said he was kind of hesitant but then he said i I, he would have been a good player for us this year and i thought that in that moment i'm like okay i don't know how to read this because i thought at first i thought cal would just say no uh, we had the initial conversation. We decided it was best for him to wait until next year, and I think the fans would have been like, okay, that nothing else was said. But then to, to, to think, okay, they did discuss it and then ultimately decided not, I think that could kind of backfire on him if Shaden ends up going to the league. I, that's the part of this this spring that I'm looking at and thinking if Shaden Sharp leaves, the fan base is going to lose its mind. And I just feel like rightfully so, given the circumstances and everything that's going on right now. I think that would be a just a tipping point in this thing. And and, and John Calipari's biggest thing right now, Jack, is to win back fans. And he he had won back so many, but then this ending to this season, it's kind of shifted a lot of people that were in his corner the other direction. And he's going to have to do some stuff to get it back. I hate that, but he's going to have to. And I have the quote pulled up. He says, would he have been a good player this year? Yeah, he'd have been pretty good. He'd have been pretty good. Uh, Buddy joined us midseason trying to get him up to all the stuff we were doing was hard. Then it came to a then it came a point late. Maybe we could should have him in there. We just, you know, together chose. Let's just wait. So the wait is the very, very key word there. Because as of March 17th at 9 p.m. or whatever it was, John Calipari is still under the assumption that Shaden Sharp's coming back next year. What would he be waiting for if he doesn't come back? That is That word, that wait word, is the 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 loudest thing that he said in that entire press conference. It's, yeah. That means that he is still operating under the assumption that uh, that Shaden Sharp is coming back next year. It's what Shaden's camp has been saying over and over and over again all year long. The exact quote that uh, his coach gave me was, "It's pretty idiotic. Everybody knew going into the, going to the draft was an option, but we're not taking it. He lost millions coming to school. He came to get better. You come to get ready if you want to go to the NBA, which is one of the goals. You have to be ready. Uh, people don't respect John Calipari's ability to develop enough. That's why Shaden's there. He's not there to sit on the bench and wave at fans. He's coming back next year. If yeah. he doesn't play, if he doesn't play this year, he's coming back next year. Sean, that is as explicitly blatant to the point at direct as he could possibly be when talking about Shaden Sharp's decision to come back next year. But it's a pinky promise. It's nothing more than a pinky promise. Nothing is written in stone. There's no contract. There's no nothing. This is Cal made this decision on a hunch and it's one that could really 
really come back to bite him in the ass. It's it's one that I understand you got to uh, when when you're dealing with players like that and coaches like that because he has a pipeline in Canada that has been very good to him with Shea Gilders Alexander and uh, he was very important. He almost landed R.J. Barrett because of him. And I, I, I totally understand why it's a very touchy thing. And you, sometimes you just got to go with your hunch. You got to go with your with uh, with your gut. But goodness, Sean, if he had a conversation with Shaden Sharp late in the year and almost played him, he literally said that he uh, he thought about it and said, maybe we should have him in there. If he came that close to playing and thinking, man, could have could Kentucky have have used a top five draft pick who is one of the most dynamic three level scorers in in high school basketball last year led Peach Jam Peach Jam in scoring had that guy on on your bench and Kentucky's offense struggled crumbled down the stretch and you didn't use him only for him to go to the draft that is a worst case scenario and at, at that point Sean I think that is. Uh, a that's a whole other conversation for a whole other time that I I really hope never comes. And this is where I actually will defend Cal in, in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that this whole scenario put Cal in a very very bad spot. And here's the thing: when did that late conversation occur? Was it the second week of February? Was it when they had injuries to Savir and Tai Tai? Yeah, I think that is the context that I would need. Like I don't think it was going into Tampa. You know, we're going yeah, into the, yeah. the final week of the regular season, but maybe when those two guards went down, maybe there was a point where they they didn't know what the status of Tata Washington was or Savir. But here's the thing about it: they did come back and they beat Alabama and LSU at home shorthanded. And if in that moment, I think we all thought when they get those other two back and they're healthy, Kentucky certainly has enough in the backcourt. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that that it just puts you in that awkward spot. So I'm going to defend Cal there. The thing that I thought Cal should have just said was like, "No, nah, we had the conversation there in uh, late January, and, and we we agreed, and and he agreed, and his camp thought it was the best thing for him." And instead of even opening the door, saying there was another conversation, because I thought that was just something that fans could look at and give get even more upset about in the moment where they're already emotional. There was no really need to even get it out there and say that there was another conversation that took place, if that makes sense. Like, I think that was just kind of throwing more on the fans for them to kind of pile on this this late in the year, and rightfully so, right? Like, because they wanted to win this thing, and a lot of people thought Shaden Sharp would have been a difference maker. And to his credit, if this plays out in his favor, where you get Shaden Sharp back next season with a, a half year under his belt, one full semester under his belt with the strength and conditioning staff, learning the system, learning campus, you know, kind of knowing the ins and outs of being a college student athlete. If that happens, look what it did for Oscar Shibway last year, having a half year at Kentucky, getting used to it. So you're already ready to go once summer rolls around. You're all, you you know the system. It's it's just pure training, pure practice from there. I, I think that was a, a beautiful situation for Oscar Shibway, uh, and it ended up helping him become National Player of the Year. If it unfolds the way John Calipari hopes and what Shaden's camp has been saying, it's a best case scenario for Kentucky. It would be uh, absolutely tremendous to get a guy who's a potential number one draft pick who is as elite of a shooter as I have ever seen at the high school level uh, during my own scouting. I think that he is a phenomenal, phenomenal basketball player. Yeah. Does it suck that Kentucky needed some some offensive juice at times throughout the the especially the end of the season? Absolutely, Kentucky absolutely could have used him, and, and I think that's why Cal went out of his way to do that. But you also got to play the long game, and and it's a very difficult, it's a very tricky, difficult situation. That if if it were me and 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 talking to the people that I have on the national level that that have basically said, "Nah, you guys are stupid for thinking that a top five draft pick is going to turn down that kind of money to go back to Kentucky." He's gone. If it, knowing those things, it has me a little bit, uh, you know, wishy washy on it and a little uncomfortable with it. And it's it's kind of an unsettling feeling. But if John Calipari is, you know, he's in these meetings, he's in these conversations, and I know it's just a pinky promise and nothing else at this point, but if it works out in his favor, this is a best-case scenario that you get a half year of development for Shaden Sharp and a full year of of watching him play. Uh, but I, I did the math. He was on campus and on the roster, Sean, for 20 games this year. 
uh, that that he sat out. So that just think that's 20 games that we could have seen him play, which would have ended up being, you know, 15 or whatever by the time he, you know, got used to it and got back in the system and all that stuff. But that, those 15 games, that's kind of right when the offense started crumbling down the stretch. And it's just like, man, that, that, that could have been quite useful. It's a very, very difficult situation that Cal was in. And uh, we, we will have to see if it pays off. Yeah, we, we will. And we're going to pay attention to this roster. I think the the two decisions that determine what we think of Kentucky next year will certainly be Oscar Shibway and Shaden Sharp. I think the rest of the roster, I know all spring or all winter, we've assumed that Sabir Wheeler will be back next season. And, and I mean, that would be good to have a veteran guy back. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, and some other pieces. But the two at the top, Sharp and Shibway, are the ones that kind of shape what Kentucky can do next year. If they lose an Oscar Shibway and they get a Shaden Sharp back, love to have Oscar, but at least you've got that elite guy back. If they lose Sharp and they get Oscar back, to me, one of those two has to return for this to kind of really have some good momentum heading into the spring and into the offseason. If you get both of those guys on that roster next year, then I, I start to think really good about what Kentucky could be because they're going to hit the portal. They're going to be active. How about this, Jack? Season ended for Kentucky last night, and we're already seeing reports of them being active in the portal. Uh, the transfer from Utah Valley. Uh, I don't know how to really say his name, but the the big man out there, a lot of schools already reaching out. And I see Jake Weingarten uh, put that out earlier. So you're already seeing some activity with Kentucky and some other schools reaching out uh, to talent. So uh, John Calipari didn't want to, you know, a, a jump start on this, but he can kind of sit back and look. And uh, I'm assuming there will be some players that will have high interest in UK, but it all depends on who leaves and what spots open up. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pronounce his name. Fardos iMac, Lord Farquad iMac, uh, Lord Lord Farquad Apple iMac. Is that what is that is what his name is, Sean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. His, his numbers were very good, though. I'll, I'll give him that. Like uh, this part right here, though. Jake says he's the top available transfer. Well, there's not many transfers in the portal yet, so I mean, yeah, it has been kind of like a day, but but he he's a, a solid guy, but. And I, I think I, I don't have the numbers right there in front of me, uh, in, in, but I do know that I think he it was like 18 points and 14 rebounds a game or something like that. Uh, some of the people that were tweeting about it were like, well, it's kind of an Oscar Sheboy clone for Utah Valley. Again, it's Utah Valley. And I do. We we got to be very careful. Uh, the guys that um, have hit the transfer portal usually more often than not the mid-majors that you know the the best mid-majors that are scoring 20 plus points per game that are getting plucked away by national title contenders those players tend to underwhelm a little bit compared to the other uh you, you know kind of maybe the production isn't as high but they come from the high profile programs the Xavier Wheelers of the world that go to Georgia Joe go from Georgia to Kentucky or you know so on and so forth uh those are the guys that are more that are more successful and are finding more production so you got to be very careful if you're going to replace oscar freaking shibway who is a once in a generation player with a player from utah valley i i know the the numbers are what they are and he's probably a very solid player but you gotta set your expectations and change that would be a lance Ware replacement not a not a an oscar shibway replacement let's just let's just get to the point on this i want oscar shibway back next year we all do Definitely. Like everyone who is involved with UK basketball wants to see Oscar Sheboy back at Kentucky next year. Me personally, I want to see Oscar Sheboy back. That is your number one option. Oscar Sheboy, Shaden Sharp, top of the chart. Those two names. Make sure they're wearing Kentucky blue next year. If they are, regardless of what returns around those two, we know what Kentucky has coming in, but regardless of what comes back, Kentucky can plug and fill in the portal, and I think they'll be just fine. I, I do. But when they get those guys, that's where I want to see John Calipari not come back and just do this repetitive thing that he's been doing. I want to see a full-time commitment to some changes. I want to see less stubbornness and maybe let them run. Just let them have some freedom of movement and do some things like he did there for a long period of time. Like That was a team that got up and down the floor – and then as the season got closer to the end, it became a slowed down pace. And, and I think, honestly, I'm, I'm not giving him an excuse because I said today I'm not – I don't know if I can defend him against his, uh, you know, loudest critics. But those injuries 
I still think the one thing that Kentucky never discovered was they didn't know who to play through in close games. I don't think they ever figured it out. How many times down the stretch this season did we see Keon Brooks take a crucial shot and it just never worked out? Well, we saw one last night at about 9.15 p.m. that uh, was not the best look at all. But yeah, you know, Playing through Keon there. The, I know the shot at Arkansas is wide open. A lot of people felt like he had to take that. That's not his strength. We saw another one against Tennessee late. Like, I just don't think that they ever felt like – I think it was supposed to be Ty Ty Washington. And if, it, if he had been healthy the way he was in January – and then early February before the second ankle injury, I think it was going to be Ty Ty Washington breaking down his man, making some plays and pick and roll and, and doing something there. But I think what happened is Oscar just became so dominant. Like they threw it into him. They do some things. And I do think that that slowed Kentucky down naturally. Not saying it wasn't a, a, a bad option because obviously Oscar was scoring points, but I think across the board, it clogged things up a lot for Kentucky. Like most of Oscar's offense for two and a half to three months was in the short pick and roll where he'd hit that 15 footer. He'd catch, he'd drive, do some things, get offensive rebounds late in the season though. It became a put him on the block and post him up type thing. Now, granted Kentucky wasn't getting good offense and that was good offense for him at the time. But I do think that that naturally slowed them down and clogged things up. And it kind of maybe messed with some things that they were doing on the perimeter. That's the only thing that I could really look at and find before I really dive in and watch some film. Can you believe that I'm actually going to go back this week and watch Kansas? I'm going to go back and watch Tennessee and some of these games, and then I want to kind of look and see exactly what happened. And if there's anything that I can find, I'll be sure to talk about on this podcast if uh, if everyone can stomach it. You talked about the end of end game situations and and you know who you play through when times got tough. I got to admit, I could not have hated the last 26 seconds any more of regulation when Kentucky had a chance to win it. Uh, and you you have timeouts in your pocket. You can draw up a play, go for a game winner. And what we got was an ISO situation uh, where where we get a Ty Ty Washington step back, uh, contested jumper from 17 feet on on the right corner. Uh, there, I guess it was the right wing. I guess, uh, and you know, contest, contested hand in his face shot didn't have a chance of going in uh, and that was the the shot you get just call a damn timeout let's call let's let's call a timeout let's let's draw up a play and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't go through oscar Sheboy, set up a play for for ty ty set if, you, if you're going to have confidence in kellen grady and, and really want to get uh, you know his yips gone and and you know get get him confident ag- again go play through him and get and drop a, a shot for him for that last shot i just could not hate how that that last 26 seconds unfolded anymore when kentucky had a shot uh, in red in regulation to end it yeah, and the, and the shot with Ty Ty, that, that certainly wasn't a good possession, but I thought that he should have taken the one when he initially caught it in the corner. Definitely. I know it was a Definitely. three, but that wasn't going to be a contested shot the way the pull-up was. A guy that hadn't been able to explosively get by anyone in weeks because I just don't think he's 100%, or maybe it was between the ears. I don't know. A lot of things happened. I thought he should have taken the first one, and, and that's a shot that we watched him hit in Tampa. Four times or there mm-hmm. three times. Like he may have hit that thing and it helped Kentucky survive to another round. But I'm with you. You got to take a timeout in that spot. I know Cal is not a timeout guy. And as a coach and and following this program, covering this program, I've cut him a lot of slack at times about not calling timeouts because he's had dudes and had teams that could go get it. But we have seen so many times this year, late in games, critical moments, this team needed him to settle them down and call timeout. And I think that they should have done that last night. I know that zone and stuff threw him off. You saw him trying to force feed the ball to Oscar. Sabir Wheeler actually turned the ball over at one point because Kentucky did not know where to go with the basketball. And he he threw it over Oscar's head and into the band. But I would have liked to have seen them draw something up there and, and use Oscar, whether they go to him. He's going to require so much attention that there would have been a double team or something there coming. But I think that that zone late confused them. And it just threw off their rhythm, too. And they just did not run good offense. And they they didn't defend on the other end of the floor. If Kentucky had defended last night, they still win that game, even with the uh, poor offense at times. 
I think if they played bad defense, they would have won that game. They just decided to have the worst defensive showing uh, I've seen for a Kentucky team in probably the last 10 years. It was just, it was awful from start to finish. And it was just, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, this offseason, I think Cal needs to kind of look at himself in the mirror and go, all right. Maybe I bring in an offensive analyst. Maybe I bring in somebody that that kind of keeps the pace moving forward with a uh, a forward thinking uh, style of play, a style of basketball that isn't. I mean, it, it the, the stuff that has worked for Kentucky for the last thirteen years. It, it, well, things are changing, times are changing, and you got to keep moving forward. I mean, I, I thought it was so telling, Sean, that Jonathan Gavoni last night just absolutely rips Cal on Twitter, who is a he watches film, he watches internet national basketball like it's his job it, it, it well it is his job but uh, he does it constantly sees basketball all over the world every walk of life uh, age group everywhere and he said nobody in the world is playing is running an offense the way John Cal- John Calipari is for the worst not for not for the good it's not uniquely good it's uniquely bad and he said and, and that kind of played into the something's got to change on that end and I don't know if it's hiring a, a an analyst or uh, you know I, I don't know what you would do you, you can have an unlimited number of off-court role type guys that kind of you know bring a, a breath of fresh air I, I think that would be a very, very smart decision on his end to kind of just uh, somebody to kind of just hold him accountable to say, all right, no, well, let, let's let's keep the pace here. Let's let's try running these things, uh, you know, let him do what he does best and let him keep coaching. But uh, I just think another uh, another set of eyes, another voice in the room, uh, I don't think would be a horrible thing, especially in terms of offense. No, I don't think so either. Uh, and and one more note, going back to that game last night, St. Peter's won the game when they switched to that zone. Late. Yeah. And, and that's what threw off Kentucky. That's where the first timeout should have come. They should have called timeout when they saw that, especially the, the first possession that threw them off. I think Cal should have called one and set something up. And and personally, I know I know Wheeler made some plays there that created some separation in the second half. And I was, I was honestly ready to talk about how Oscar Sheboy was dominant. And then Xavier Wheeler decided to show up when it was a key moment. Mm -hmm. He had some big mistakes down the stretch. I think when they went to that zone, the ball should have been in Tata Washington's hands at the point. And I think that they probably should have taken Xavier out and put Mintz in in that situation. And and maybe you get some more size on the floor. You get a guy that can kind of knife his way in there and and get some size and and do some things in the middle of that zone. Uh, Xavier just looked confused. When, when they went and when they faced that. And he made some critical errors there late. And that's where John Calipari, some of the criticism I think is warranted. You, you should have called timeout and calmed his guys down and, and said, all right, look, we've seen some zone before. If it's a matchup zone, this is what we're going to do. Maybe we step out and we screen it a little bit, get one of those guards downhill and get to the mid-range game. But I felt like if Kentucky could have just got a basket when they were up six, we would be sitting in Indy right now, Jack, having a pregame show talking about Kentucky and Murray State. But not getting a basket there opened the left the door open for St. Peter's to go hit a three or get a backdoor layup or something. And then ultimately that pressure that I talked about on Wednesday's episode or Thursday's episode was on Kentucky. It ended up shifting back to Kentucky and St. Peter's was playing with a ton of confidence and house money and they won the game. The pressure was on Kentucky and St. Peter's knew it late. Oh man, it's just so so disappointing, Sean. It's and stay, just sweet. And stay mm. locked into this podcast. It's going to be a wild spring. We have zero plans of slowing down, Jack. I know, I mean, you've talked about it already when it comes to portal, when it comes to roster attrition, regardless of what it is, we're going to be right here recording. Like, it's not slowing down. It's still going to be multiple times a week. We're going to do everything we can to get content out there to you. Yeah, how else are the fans gonna gonna hear about Lord Farquaad Apple iPad Apple iMac? That's that's what this show is about. They come here to to hear about Lord Farquaad of of Utah Valley and uh, Kentucky's chances to land the dynamic double 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 uh, duo in the uh, what 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 conference is Utah Valley in? Um, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Let's let's get guesses. It is in the oh, it's in the whack. We play we played uh, St. Peter's out of the Mac, and then now we have uh, uh, Lord Farquaad out of the whack. So I don't, there we go. I, and then driving home from Indy today, there's a road called St. Peter's Road. 
And for a second, I was convinced I was in hell. I was like, I cannot believe (laughs) that this is an actual thing. And for the rest of my life, we're going to hear St. Peter's going to hear St. Peter's. It's frustrating, but look, you got to tip your cap to those guys. I mean, my goodness, like they were ready. They were ready. Kentucky wasn't. They took advantage of Kentucky not being ready and not being prepared, and they're still dancing. Uh, By the way, Murray State fans – they really, really turned last night and started cheering for St. Peter's late in that game like that. They, St. Peter's had quite a few fans by the time that game was over. Like can, Kentucky could have won that game. If they had got a big lead early, it wouldn't have mattered. But keeping it close allowed the majority of the building that wasn't Kentucky fans to turn, and it did. Oh, I hate it here. I hate it so much. Well, that, uh, that was a show. It happened. It, uh, history was made in the worst way possible, uh, but we will uh, we will get through these next couple weeks together. We uh, it's been very difficult to watch these games on television, and uh, I truthfully uh, didn't even get out of bed till noon today because I was so just freaking just just lost and disgusted and well, we didn't get into depressed and it was yeah how we uh, we uh, had a couple drinks afterward. Let's just say that. Uh, when when Cal says when we we don't need shooters, we need makers. I went to the nearest like li- liquor store and got my makers. Yeah, I got my makers too. It was at Tin Roof, but I got it. <laughs> well, Sean, like you said, we're gonna have a lot of fun uh, here, kind of making the most of what we have, and uh, uh, we'll we'll stay up to date every news bit that drops about if a, if a, if Kentucky reaches out to a transfer or uh, Kentucky has a a player declare for the draft or announce he's coming back or leave via the transfer portal we will uh, be right back on to talk about the who what when where and why of all of it and uh, what it all means and uh, it, it's going to be a, a, a long summer but we're going to make the most of it we're going to do a bunch of recruiting trips and I know we have the Jordan Brain Classic coming up uh, in a, in April the, the McDonald's game Sean is in Chicago next weekend uh but they do a bunch of it's just virtual for media and all that all you got to do is all you can do is show up for the game and like the three-point contest and the dunk contest and i truthfully can stay at home and watch the game itself on on television so so uh, from everything i gather though we'll be at jordan brand together from last time i think right we will yeah, yeah. A- April 15th. So we'll be there. So that'll, uh, I-, I guess that'll be the next time we are able to do in-person coverage for something unless there's a, a random event that pops up. But recruiting is about to start back up, UIBL. Uh, it's it's going to be a busy a busy summer, and we're going to stay up to date with all of it, Sean. Uh, let's uh, get out of here with one final message from our friends at Prize Picks. We are in the home stretch of the NBA season, and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite former Wildcats play than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports, and just pits you against the numbers. Whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games, Prize Picks is is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players and predict that they will go over or under their projection. Price Picks gives you the chance to win 10 times your money for getting four or five predictions correct. Download the Price Picks app or visit pricepicks.com using promo code PILGRIM to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Don't forget that's a Price Picks app or pricepicks.com using promo code PILGRIM to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your favorite former Kentucky stars to the next level. Sean Smith, let's get out of here. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another Jam Packed Source to Save podcast. We will see you then. Yeah.